There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to an all-new Turf Show Radio podcast special. Today, we are going to be talking about the news that is shaking the Rams nation to its very core. Okay, just the news that has Rams fans scratching their heads going, huh? Uh, And you already know what that is. Jared Goff is going to be the starter this Sunday against Miami, and to do that, we brought on the man who has been saying he shouldn't have been the starter all along. Uh, Mr. Mycin, a dinosaur, a deosaur. <laughs> hey, what's going Mycin. on, Josh? Hey, how you doing today, man? I'm just chilling, enjoying the uh, the epic news that dropped today. <laughs> yeah, okay, so I'm going to put to you a question that I got asked on ESPN Honolulu, and I legit couldn't answer. Right. Why? Why today? You know what? I think it's. I think it's a lot of things that kind of played into this. Uh, I don't think this was just as easy as golf is ready. Um, honestly, I think Jeff Fisher's telling the truth all that time when he says he's not ready. He's not ready because it's, it was obvious, especially if you even saw the preseason. You know, everyone can point to you know all the other rookies, but. The fact of the matter is, and I touched on this a bit in a, an article I wrote at the end of the preseason, the fact of the matter is Jared Goff was the second-worst quarterback in the preseason outside of Christian Hackenberg. And the, the second-worst rookie quarterback, all the other rookies, wasn't even close to being as bad as he was. They all actually played really well. But when you uh, when you kind of look at the, the broad scope of things, Jared Goff wasn't really ready, so it made sense what Jeff Fisher was saying. But then you kind of throw in the fact that I think that Jeff Fisher, and I've been saying this for weeks now, I've said this with you a lot behind closed doors, that I really think 
Jeff Fisher is officially, legitimately on the hot seat. And so when you add in the fact that he's on the hot seat, I think there's been a little pressure to play the rookie. Um, I think the patience is kind of running out uh, for why he's not playing or why you don't have him ready. You know, if he's not ready when you drafted him, that's what we pay you for, get him ready. You know, so I think that's kind of the mentality. But I think the real deciding factor was the last game um, that was played in the Coliseum was the fans. You know, um, L.A. is the biggest gripe that anyone had with uh, any team going to L.A. was can you hold the attention of the fans? There's so much to do in L.A. It's so easy to lose their attention if you're not winning. I mean, we, that's been evident with the Lakers. No one, in their, no one in their right mind would have ever said the Lakers could have a game they didn't sell out. But, hey, guess what? They started losing, and that's exactly what happened. You know, So if you're not having success, you're not going to have anyone there, and it's not going to take very long to lose those uh, fans. So if you have fans that you're on a losing streak and you have fans that's calling for Jared Goff, I think that uh, that kind of struck fear into the front office, not just not just Jeff Fisher, but just the front office as a whole. I think that strikes fear when you hear the fans getting kind of rowdy. They're like, look, it's been too long. <laughs> it's time to get this young man out there. So I really think it was a, a bunch of things that kind of got the ball rolling here. I think at this point, you know, he's he's uh, gotten better. Uh, I mean, you would, that's the only thing you can't do as now. If you stay the same, then they would that would qualify them for making the wrong pick. <laughs> but so obviously, after ten weeks, you know, you probably. But I want to ask better. you that. Hold on a sec, because let, let me ask you that. I mean, we 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 talk about the notion that there may be pressure, and if there is right. pressure for Goff to be the starter. And Fisher might not be 100% behind it because, well, he's the head coach and in theory should know this cat's not ready. But we've always said that the one thing that Fisher can fall back on is he's always been like, well, I'm one piece away, you know, one piece away. We sat off this year so we won't be as bad next year. It's always, it always seems to be one more piece with Fisher. And, and you know, I'm wondering if if he's not starting Goff because of that pressure, but even within that decision, there's still no guarantee in his head that this kid's going to make good on it. He just has no choice. No, you're absolutely right. There's always been that with one more piece or one more piece, but I think that that very statement and that sentiment alone is uh, kind of what screwed Jeff Fisher because he came out and said it himself. He went out of his way after the, after drafting Jared Goff back in April. He went out of his way. No one asked him. He just said it himself in the press conference. You know, we, we, were, we were a quarterback away, and we got our guy. You know, we just needed to get over that hump. He's going to get us over that hump. He kind of put that pressure on Jared Goff and himself because now you're saying to, to the world and Jared Goff, you're the one that's going to put us in the playoffs. And you're also saying that he's been the only thing I've been missing. So if Jared Goff doesn't succeed, now everyone's going to look at you like, well, you said that this was the guy. You know, he's the one that's going to get you over that hump. Now, since he said that, he's backtracked a lot in saying that, you know, we're going to play him when he's ready. You know, he's not ready. He's not ready. But the initial, the initial sentiment was he's our guy. He's going to put us over the hump. This is all we've missed to get to the playoffs. And now we have him. We're going to go to the playoffs. You know, so – Within 24 hours, it was a natural backtrack. You know, I think the excitement had got you know built up so much. But after 20 over 20 years of being in the head coaching ranks, you, you know you can't get that excited and think that it won't come back to bite you if you don't have that success. So yeah, there's always been that one piece away. I think that Jeff uh, Fisher really um, put fuel to that fire of the one piece away thought. 
by saying it himself for the first time that I've ever heard him say it. And now that uh, Jared Goff has sat for so long, the pressure is even more because it's now, well, you've had this time to get him ready. You know, you're not throwing him in the fire on the first day. He's had time to sit back and get ready more time than anyone else that's coming in this week. You know, all the quarterbacks that are going to be starting this week all have something under their belt. He's had time to prepare longer than anyone. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure to not just win this game but have some success against some of the better teams that are coming up like the Patriots and the Seahawks and the Falcons. So now – what in order for Jared Goff to, to obviously get his nod, something had to happen with Case Keenum, or in this case, it seems like it was something that wasn't happening with Case Keenum. We all know that for one man to take a job, another man has to lose a job. So what happened to Case Keenum? Well, you know, with Case Keenum, I think that the world had already seen everything they needed to see from Case Keenum within the first couple of games. You know, you know exactly what you're going to get from him. You know you're going to get a guy that from the head up has everything you want, but he's just so ridiculously limited physically, it really, really stunts uh, how far your offense can go. You know, he's a great leader. He says all the right things. He does all the right things. He plays with passion. He got the guys to rally behind him. I think they really enjoy playing with him. But at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, what can you really do for me? How far can you take me? And his limitations are just, they're so obvious. You know, um, there's been many throws where you look at it and you say, man, if he would have hit that guy, if he had a stronger arm or some overthrows where, you know, there's just too much behind it because he can't, he can't put the right touch on it. You know, so his physical limitations has been the biggest issue. Now, you know, if you had, uh, if the game was strictly about the mental side, then, yeah, absolutely. Jerry Goff would pro- Jerry Goff would probably still be sitting on the bench this weekend, but because of the physical limitations and the inability to get over those humps, those those limitations and things that kind of uh, that, that's hindered the offense. Um, and I'm not putting it all on uh, Case Keenum because it's absolutely not all on Case Keenum, but he definitely played a role in it as well. Those things that have hindered the offense and the inability to make certain plays. You know, the game has to be called a certain way. You can't go out there and win the game. It has to be called a certain way or else the game's lost. That's an issue. And I think that's kind of uh, where the Rams are. They realize that they can't keep having these games where uh, it's 9-6 or it's 9-3 or it's 10-17. They have to have somebody that can go out there and make all the throws. So if the game is on the line and you have to go down there and you have to score a touchdown, they need somebody that can actually make the throws that's going to get them down there. You know, it's funny you mention that because it's not like they haven't been making the throws this week uh, or, or throughout the whole season, but you look at this week in particular, some of the throws made by, and I'm looking at Carson Wentz in particular, on a drive that the Eagles had to have. I think it was like third and nine or fourth and nine, and, 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 and Carson Wentz hit his target in a nice tight window up over the top for about 27 yards. Yeah. Um. You look at stuff like that and you say, okay, in theory, these are the throws. Like, if if Carson Wentz can make these throws, then Case Keenum and Jared Goff should be able to, in theory. But that's not what's happening, is it? No, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. In theory, yes. You would think, I mean, you're a quarterback in the NFL, you're here because you can make those throws. That's, that's what the thought process is, but... In actuality, there's just not many people walking the earth 
like a Carson Wentz. <laughs> you know, guys that can literally make any throw you ask them to make. You know, there's a few, and those guys are guys that most of the time have success. You know, you look at guys uh, who can make every single throw and make it look easy. Guys like the Bradys and the the Matthew Staffords and Cam Newton. It's just it's not a lot of them though, and that's the biggest issue. Um, Jared Goff now physically he's no Carson Wentz or any of the guys mentioned you know previously, but he is definitely a legitimate franchise talent just from talent alone. Now as far as what he will be if that talent will translate into production, I guess that we'll see uh, that when the journey gets started on Sunday. But the talent, there's no question. The talent he is, he was a legitimate first round talent through and through. Uh, his NFL readiness may not have been what you wanted for a first-round player, but the talent has always been there. So looking at this week in in sort of a uh, a vacuum, what does Goff have to do against Miami in order for this to be a successful debut? Because he's not exactly going up against a, a, a you know, light-em-up offense there with, with the Dolphins. You know, that's a great question. And I, honestly, I think it's really simple. You know, he's not going to well, not okay, a light him up offense. Give Joshua Hill the credit because he's the one who asked for. Asked great for question. Twitter, great so. question, Josh. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question, and I honestly think this is a really simple answer. Um, when you look at what the uh, Rams are going up against this weekend, it's not like you said. It's not a light him up offense, and it's also it's not a really shut you down defense either. Um, this is the perfect scenario for uh, Jared Goff to enter because you don't really have the toughest matchup in the world. You got the home crowd behind you. You know, you got Kenny Britt, who's really on fire right now, which um, I'm going to touch on a little more, but I think his production is about to drop with the quarterback change. But, you know, you got, you got things kind of rolling and putting you in, putting you in position to really succeed. Um, I think to have success this weekend – he had to not turn the ball over for one. You know, uh, he had five uh, five turnovers in the preseason, and he only played about, um, I think it was eight quarters of, of football, you know, and he had five turnovers. You know, that's like two games. <laughs> in two games, he had five turnovers and two touchdowns. That's just not good, you know. So he can't turn the ball over. Uh, he can't have the fumbles. He can't have the picks. He, he's got to take care of the ball. And another thing is he's got to move the chains. Third down, you got to make sure that you're moving the chains on third down. If you can do those two things, whether the Rams win or lose, I think that that would be that that would be the beginning of a success uh, success for this year. Um, but it all starts with protecting the football, taking care of the football, and moving the chains on third down. And that's been the Rams' biggest two area uh, two areas for improvement on offense. You know, they've had way too many turnovers, and it's not just Case Keenum. There's been too many fumbles. I mean, we've watched multiple games where there's been multiple fumbles on offense. And um, when you add in the interceptions, it's just too much. It's way too much. So protecting the ball is number one. And then moving the ball on third down is just not happening often enough for this offense. And one of our guys, Garrett Catalana, wants to know, is it fair to say that Goff's ceiling right now is way higher than Keenum's, but also that his floor is much lower Absolutely, 100%. That is fair to say. Um, when you look at Case Keenum's success this year, the things he's done well, it's been chemistry. You know, 
he developed really, really, really good chemistry. And, you know, everyone that watched Hard Knocks and heard his wife said he worked a lot in the offseason with the two guys that he's that's had the most success catching the ball this year, which is uh, Kenny Britt and Lance Kendricks. Um, and it's showing, you know, the work that he put in in the offseason, it's been undeniable. It was said that it happened, and you can see the results now. So when you when you think about what that really means, because every quarterback that ever has a good season with their uh, receivers have usually put in some type of extensive work in the offseason. Um, Jared Goff, you know, obviously hasn't had the opportunity to do that as he wasn't even with the Rams the entire offseason. You know, he got, he brought in, he was coming in, was brought in halfway through the offseason. Uh, that's, that's where Keenum, I think that's where Keenum's gonna be missed the most. I think that's where, uh, where he, he's got a leg up on Jared Goff. You know, so saying that Jared Goff floor is lower, I would definitely agree with that because of the, um, the, the time put in and the chemistry that was built with them. And then you add in the experience, which is nothing that's against golf. You know, there's nothing he could do about that, considering that he's a rookie. But experience goes a long way in all professional sports. You know, so the fact that Keith Case Keenum does have that experience and golf doesn't, you know, experience and chemistry and having the team behind you, those are three things that's just invaluable. And golf just doesn't have that right now. Well, one of the things that I think is, is, is holding back Keenum, and it's something we've discussed, you know, I, I don't know how many different times, uh, but it's the play of the offensive line. And you look at some of the weaknesses that this Rams team have, whether it's the left tackle position, whether it's an over-the-hill center, whether it's the right guard position, which seems to be up in the air. Does Goff make this offensive line look better, or is this offensive line about to look worse because <laughs> Goff is a guy who needs time in the pocket? So I can answer this in two ways. The first being I think that this is only one game, and we need we need to make sure we're not too quick to have these career-judging uh, assessments after the game. We have to remember that Tim Barnes is about to face Ndamukong Sue, okay? So <laughs> we have to we have to remember he's going to be under some legitimate pressure. This uh this defensive line is legit. They're good. They're very very good between and they're and they're all veterans. They're all savvy veterans. They're all Pro Bowlers with Cameron Wake and Ndamukong um, Sue and Mario Williams. They are not. They're no scrubs. That's for sure. You know, there's a lot of success there. And there's a lot of career sack split between them. Jared Goff is going to see a lot of pressure. Now, with that being said, Jared Goff, this is one of my favorite things about him when I was scouting him when he was in college, was his uh, ability to work the pocket. Um, he has a very, very good sense of when to step up in the pocket, when to move around. It's just about doing it consistently. I think the big issue in the preseason, why you didn't see it as frequently, although you did see a lot of flashes of it, of him working the pocket, I think the reason that you didn't see it consistently is because when he was forced to think too much as a rookie, your first action, you're now overdoing things. And so you you forget to do small things like step up in the pocket or maneuver to the left a little bit, slide, keep the ball up. So he can really work the pocket. It's something that kind of comes to him naturally, which I like a lot. And he's going to need that this weekend facing off against the um, Dolphins. Now, if there's one bright spot to it is that the Rams' offensive line has actually played pretty well in the past game 
over the last couple of weeks. In fact, this past week, they were ranked, uh, I believe, number one by PFF in pass protection. So they did a really, really good job, and they didn't give up any sacks, according to PFF. So you um, you really you really can take a lot of different angles in this. I think that it's, it's going to come down to how well they can hold up in the middle. Uh, they can hold up at least halfway well in the middle to where he can step up into a halfway clean po- pocket. Then I think that you'll see Jared Goff be able to show off some of that ability to work the pocket. Well, uh, the highest power wants to know, do you think this can help some of the young receiving options? 10, 89, dare I even say 86? What you you got to say about that? Is is Goff going to bring these receivers to life? No. Um, I will say, let me not say no to all of them. Um, I do believe that uh, if last week was evident of anything, it's that Tyler Higby is about to start getting a lot more clock. Tyler Higby, Higby is the superior talent at the tight end position over Lance Kendricks and everyone else. Um, it's just that simple. And he's actually, to the surprise of myself and I think a lot of people, he, he hasn't been bad in run blocking as either. It's something that you know he needed to improve on coming in, and I think he's done a really, really good job. He's been very solid there. So the fact that they're starting to throw him the ball more, now you would like to see these these uh these looks convert into catches more often as he only caught one for seven, but that one was a beauty, and he absolutely beat the guy, Philly, on a 31-yard catch. So you know that the talent's there. You just need to see see him be more aware on the field as there was a couple times where he just wasn't looking for the pass, and that's just kind of a young guy being a young guy in my opinion. But um, I think that there's a chance that you could really see a connection there because they are really good friends. They've made a really good connection being roommates in training camp, and they hang out a lot. So I think there's going to be some type of chemistry there. I think if there's chemistry with anyone on the team with uh, golf in the past game, it's going to be um, Tyler Higby. As far as um, Farrell Cooper or Nelson Spruce, I mean, Farrell Cooper, he's playing, you know, fourth, fifth fiddle behind everyone else. So he's, his snaps are limited. I don't think that he's going to see a lot of uh, opportunity as, as 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 for Nelson Spruce, I mean he has to he has to get out of the the training room. You know, if this is any other receiving core, if this is the uh, the the Packers or the Patriots or Cowboys or something, he's probably cut. You know, because you can't make the club if you're in the tub, and he just cannot stay on the field. It seems like every time he heals from one ailment, there's another thing that pops up. You know, so. I think he's he's sticking around because the back end of the Rams receiver, the second uh, the other half of it is is just um, is not much much there. They're all young, they're all rookies, so there's there's competition. It's easier for him to stick around, but he's just he's got he's got to get healthy. He's I don't think that Jared Goff is going to make a difference in what we see from him. Yeah, certainly. If a man can't stay healthy, like you said, there's not really any anything any quarterback can do to make him look yeah, better. Sure. Nothing you can do about that. I mean, he might be able to make him look better in Madden when the Rams <laughs> inevitably post one of those videos of their players playing video games in the midst of another seven and nine season. But <laughs> you know, um, 
Well, Joe Marciano had asked if, if golf is going to make a difference in the OL play, but, but we already answered that one. That was a new question that came in. Here comes one from Excellence281 who wants to know, do you guys think the Rams will run some cow plays to make him more comfortable? Uh, just answering that one off my, off the top of my head, um, if they do, I would say there'd be, Maybe just a couple, because Cal's offense and this offense are worlds apart. And oh, yeah. you basically have to nuke your entire play-calling mechanism to, to, to use some Cal. You could do some package plays, but I don't see anything beyond that. Do you? Yes, I actually do. Um, here's why. Suck me um, sideways. <laughs> I don't think that they're going to just blow up their playbook, um, as I think some people are expecting. Uh, but I do think that they have uh, a couple of packages that's going to be some similar plays, not exactly ripped right out of the, the bear raid offense playbook, but I do think there's going to be some similar plays. The number one reason I say that is when you watch golf in the preseason and you watch Case Keenum in the preseason and you watch Sean Mayen in the preseason, when you watch all three quarterbacks, when golf was in the game, he was in the gun a lot. And the, the routes ran were a lot of verticals and a lot of quick stuff. You know, which is really similar to what he did at the uh, at Cal. But when you watch Sean Mayne and Case Kim, they were under center, they were in the gun, they were in pistol, they were in all these different formations, and they were running, all, they were looking through all these different route concepts. They really ran their offense through those two other quarterbacks. Whereas when golf was in the game, that was not the case. It was the it was about focusing on making him more comfortable. Now, uh, Jeff Fisher is on record as saying that they are going to try to make him comfortable whenever he did get in the game. And this was way back in many camps. So, you know, I think that they stood true to that in um, in the preseason. And I think they're going to still hold true to that now. I don't think that they're going to blow up their offense by any stretch of the imagination. But we will see quite a bit of gun run from them. And I think there will be a, a couple of RPOs thrown there, some run pass options, um, some stuff that he's used to and some quick, easy decisions where he can get the ball out. Um, I think that we'll see probably a nice handful of RPOs with Tavon uh, mixed in there and uh, Gurley as well. So I think it'll be interesting seeing the tweaks they make. I do think there will be tweaks, but I don't think they're going to just blow it all up and just change everything about their philosophy. Perfect, perfect. Now, one of our listeners wants to know if if Mannion is going to be the backup. David Carpenter had heard as as wants to know, will Mannion be the backup to Goff? He's heard some Ram coaches believe Mannion is uh, more ready for the NFL. And this kind of goes back to some conversations that we've been having both on and off the air about whether or not the Rams were saving a little face by not promoting Mannion to the backup position maybe perhaps sooner. Uh, where do you come down on this? Should, should Keenum retain the backup role, or is this something that the Rams need to look at and say, this Keenum thing just isn't working? Even if Goff can't do it, maybe it's time to give somebody else a different look. Yeah, the uh, I don't think there's any chance that Case Keenum ends up as a third-string quarterback. Um the Rams are they're heavily invested in him as far as dollars go. Um, now he's not getting paid $18 million, you know, but he was tendered at a first-round uh, tender. Um, and that's definitely not a cheap cheap tag by any stretch of the imagination. That's, as far as quarterback money goes, that's top 
backup type money. He's getting over three million dollars, about three and a half million dollars to play this year. Um, there's no way that he goes. There's no he goes to third string and be he's in, suddenly inactive. Um, there's I think that whenever you make that switch from whoever your opening day starter was to someone else, that's kind of an admission of we got it wrong. You know, if Case Keenum plays the whole year as the starter, then you can't really say they got it wrong because then you, then there's no one that was the entire year that was ever better than him. Um, but once you put someone else in without injury, you're admitting there's someone else better than him, which means you got it wrong. Now, that was kind of the expectation anyway, so there's no surprise there. Now, now as far as Sean Mannion, I think Sean Mannion is uh, definitely uh, proven in the preseason with his stellar play uh, that he is – far ahead of where he was last year, and he's ready to play. He's ready to go in there at any time to, you know, relieve anyone uh, that needs, uh, that's hurt, banged up, whatever it may be. Uh, I think Charmaine can definitely step in, but he has not been active any game outside of the first game this year. Um, it's been Case Keenum as a starter, and Jared Goff is the only other active quarterback with Johnny Hecker as their emergency number three. Um, so I don't think that that's going to change. I think that, uh, Case Keenum is going to just flip with Jared Goff. He's going to go into the, the second-string spot. Uh, they're going to keep Sean Mannion at that number three. I wouldn't be a, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing Sean Mannion at number two, but I just overall don't think there's going to be a legitimate chance of seeing it happen. Well, Joe Curley has been tweeting some stuff. Uh, is Jared or excuse me, Jeff Fisher is is giving some comments and some explanations and answering some questions about Jared Goff uh, taking over the job. And and this quote kind of stands out to me. I don't want to say it's a new era, but in a lot of ways it is. Jeff Fisher on Jared Goff taking over the role. So this is what doesn't make a lot of sense to me is how is this a new era? (laughs) It's (laughs) – it's a new era for your your quarterback position only. It's not wow. a new era for your team. What's the, <laughs> What's the honest to God difference between? And I know that the offenses are a little different, uh, and 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 so on and so forth. But what is the honest to God difference between having Case Keenum, Sam Bradford? And Jared Goff, and you throw Nick Foles in there in, in Rich Rod's system if you want to. What is the difference between those gentlemen? The difference is, the reason it's a new era is because we haven't seen Jared Goff in a live game. Oh, oh okay. Um, so that's the only reason it's a new you era. Can't, you, can't, you can't make the comparison to Sam Bradford or Case Keenum because you haven't seen them play. You haven't given them the opportunity to fail or succeed. Until he does one or the other, there's really no way to to judge what type of error it is. That's what makes it new. Um, I get where you're going with this, and I don't disagree with the with the sentiment at all. Uh, but because he has not stepped on the field, we can't say, well, what's the difference between him and Sam Bradford? You know, we can't say that because he hasn't won a game, he hasn't lost a game, he hasn't even thrown a pass. You know, he, he hasn't even taken a knee. So there's a, there's absolutely nothing that we can compare um, on tape to say, you know, there's no difference, you know, between this guy or that guy. And that's what makes Oh, I'm not saying era. there's no difference. I'm just curious. Usually when you say there's a new era, mm-hmm. what we're talking about is a complete and total departure from what was 
into something that now will be. And as I look over these quarterbacks, they're all different in their own ways, and you can find it. But, I I mean, I'm I'm old enough to remember Sam Bradford lighting it up with Oklahoma pretty vividly. Uh, and, and, And you look at some of the things that he did at Oklahoma when he was there. Granted, he had a much better running game than Jared Goff did at Cal. Right. Um, that's just, you know, a byproduct of playing at Oklahoma as opposed to an air raid offense. But the thing that Sam Bradford did so well was just air the ball out. There were – I think that Oklahoma team broke the record. Actually, I know they did for most 60-point games in a season, and I think they yeah, had they six. <laughs> and yeah, they did. A lot of that was Sam Bradford staying in the game even after he'd thrown like 600 yards and four or five touchdowns. And you look at it and you say, okay, what's the big and total departure from Sam Bradford to Jared Goff? Maybe the offensive systems were slightly different, and I'm not saying they're the same guy. Right. I am talking fundamentally at its no, core. No. What is no, the that's total a great departure? Question. And I, I don't see it. That's a great question. I will say this, you know, um, as far as just quarterbacking, you know, forget what the player was in the NFL, what they're going to be in the NFL, college, all that. Just looking at the way they play the game, Sam Bradford is a much more natural uh, passer than uh, Jared Goff. Sam Bradford is one of the more natural passers that we've seen in recent memory, you know, as far as just the uh, – his. His, his 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 mechanics aren't they just come to him you know it's not something that that he had to work on a lot or think about a lot it just, from the day that you first saw him step on campus the first game he played in he just looked like a natural quarterback throwing the ball you know there's a tight spiral the ball was accurate it, it just made sense now as far as health wise and you know staying on the field decision making all that stuff that's a different animal but when you're talking about just throwing the ball watching the ball leave his hands it is definitely better than golf. Um, now, if you're looking at what to expect coming out of college from those systems, I think you hit on it when you said that they're, they're, they both aired it out, but they weren't the same. Um, they were definitely throwing the ball a lot. He was just laying it up there left and right uh, at Oklahoma. But, however, it wasn't even close to anything like the uh, the bear rate. The bear rate offense is probably the most simplistic offense you'll ever see. Uh, it's not a lot of thought that goes into it. There's not a lot of reads. There's not a lot of routes. There was a lot of routes being ran by those receivers, and they had a lot of them in Oklahoma, but they were all running different routes. And uh, I think that's the big difference there, you know, uh, as far as them entering the NFL, is you saw a quarterback who just kind of was a natural thrower, and then you had also had a guy who saw a lot of different things in the offense that he ran and was able to run the ball differently. So he had different fronts because sometimes they were focused on stopping DeMarco Marion. Sometimes they were more focused on uh, stopping the pass or stopping the short pass or the long pass. So with Jared Goff, it was the same defense every time. He never saw anything different, which really stunts your growth because you're not used to going through different coverages. So – you're looking at the two quarterbacks coming out of college. I think there's actually quite a bit of a difference. They both threw the ball a lot, but outside of that, uh, outside of throwing the ball a lot, there's not a lot of similarities. Is there something to be said? Now, you look at Jared Goff, and it's easy to pick apart the fact that offensively, the Bear Ridge is one of the more simplistic offenses that you'll play in. But 
in order for it to work in the Pac-12, there has to be nuance. Uh, each week, you're going up against a different defensive scheme. Uh, you know, you, you've got David Shaw's deadly front seven. You've got USC's high-flying, you know, uh, uh, multi-optional choices at various different positions where you've got guys who could play, you know, uh, linebacker, safety, or even a down lineman in some cases. Uh, it's, it's, I find that the Big 12 on the whole is a little bit more top-heavy. The Pac-12 as a whole, I think, is a bit more diverse in what you will see on a week-to-week basis. Is there something to be said for golf in that regard? I'm not saying the Pac-12 is a better conference. That's not an argument I'm going to make on this podcast. It's not even an argument <laughs> for this podcast. Yeah. I'm simply saying that the diversity of the teams in the Pac-12 is a lot different than the diversity we see in the Big 12, where teams tend to be more alike than dissimilar. I, I get where you're going with that. I think in this particular case, I don't think it makes a huge difference uh, for one simple reason, and that's when you see, um, and I know you, we touched on this a bit in our last podcast, when you see Jared Goff play against a Utah and there's a different scheme, you saw a major struggle. The games where there, the scheme was completely different from anything that he was used to, and they really – focused on stopping the bear rate. They wasn't just running their defense, but they were game planning locked on to stopping the they, – the, they only ran certain routes in the bear rate. You saw a lot of screens, a lot of slants, and a lot of go routes. <laughs> they got vertical. You know, so when you run only a handful of routes, teams to, and a team that's really focused on stopping those routes as opposed to just running their defense and executing what they do in defense to and relying on that execution to stop you, those are two different things because now you're putting an emphasis on it. When those teams put emphasis on it, Jared Goff did not play well. Um, and I think that that, that kind of speaks more to what what you have to do to stop him as opposed to what type of defenses he's looking at. Because it didn't really matter who the defense was because in that Utah game, Utah, they came out playing a completely different style of defense than they had played any game before that, and they completely shut him down. And, you know, that was that was what you saw frequently throughout his USC entire career. did the Cal. same thing. Yeah, you saw it frequently throughout his entire career at Cal when defenses – instead of just playing their style and focusing on executing their style and letting that be the determining factor, when they focused on shutting down those specific routes that they ran, golf struggled big time. There was a huge, huge struggle to make in-game adjustments and to figure out where to go with the ball if that first read wasn't open. So I don't think so much of the Pac-12 defenses being uh, – if anything, I, I think that it was just um, if you – if you put them against teams where they were actually willing to focus on stopping the the the, the game plan that the opposing offense had, I think he was going to struggle regardless of what conference he was in. And uh, I That's don't think not that what you... I was at, hitting at there is is when those defenses in the Pac-12, because I think that with the parity, you look at a team like. Well, I don't want to say Baylor. <laughs> They're probably yeah. not the best example. But look at a team like an Iowa State or a Kansas. 
and they're not going to give you a lot of trouble. They're just they're well, Iowa State may, Kansas sure in hell is, isn't. But you look at the Pac-12, and there's really not a Kansas. We used to say it was Washington State. Mike Leach turned that around. In all actuality, the Kansas right now is Cal. <laughs> Cal is the, the the Kansas. They are that team that just isn't getting the job done. And when I was looking at those games where Goff was shut down through four to five interceptions, that's what I, I was kind of hinting at. Is that going to help him as he makes the adjustment to NFL starter? Or is that, for us, should that be a warning sign or a precursor of what is going to come when defenses target Jared Goff specifically? Because if if I'm Miami's defensive coordinator, I'm looking at all the tape of what those teams did to shut down Goff, and I'm replicating that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely think that it should be, you know, there should be an asterisk put to those next to those games that he played in college, where that was, where that's what they did. They focused on shutting down golf as opposed to executing their their game plan, uh, or not their game plan, but their uh, philosophy. Um, however, and this kind of touches on what I was saying earlier about Jeff Fisher. I believe that holding him back all this time actually puts more pressure on both him and golf because the whole point of keeping him out of the games was we're not going to put him in until he is ready, until he gets to a point to where we know we put him in, he's going to succeed. You know, so you're supposed to have been preparing him this entire time, 10 extra weeks, 10 weeks longer than any other quarterback in the NFL has gotten, you know, you're supposed to have been preparing him to be able to succeed in those situations where they do take away your first and second read. What do you do? You know, so if he's not able to succeed in those situations, now the question becomes, well, what have you been teaching him since he got there in late April, early May, and with these extra 10 weeks when everyone else was focusing on, um, you know, different opponents and having to do all this study, and Jared also got to sit back and focus on, the fundamentals, learning like the things like where you go with the ball if this one isn't ready, you know, understanding the playbook, making sure that you have the everything down packed to where when you get in the game you're comfortable and you're not thinking. If he gets in the game and those things are still happening, then you have to ask, well, one, I thought you said you weren't going to put him in the game until he was ready. He doesn't look ready. And two, what have you been teaching this guy? So I, I, I think would that, add uh, in the third question there, how the hell was he a number one overall pick? <laughs> fair, hey, it's a fair question. It's definitely a fair question. Uh, so when you, when you really think about because it. Because you look at Carson Wentz, and like you said earlier, this is a guy who's not struggling to make the NFL throws. He no. is not struggling in his adaptation. So when you say a guy is the number one pick, to me, you're saying he is better than everyone else in front of him. If exactly. I look at Goff and he can't do that, I'm wondering what they saw on film that wasn't there for Carson Wentz that apparently is there now. Exactly, and that's why I say by sitting him longer, you've created more pressure because now it's like you had one guy, he didn't only just come in and play from day one. He was hurt in the preseason, so he missed valuable time, and he still came in and performed well. So if you've played in the preseason, you've gotten 10 extra weeks longer, you really have, you have less excuses of being able to go out there and execute. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's my, my, I don't know. My issue with this, and we talked about this, is that I don't, 
I don't think Goff should have ever been the number one pick. And so I'm stopping <laughs> this conversation on that note, which is probably detrimental to to having a, a a conversation about how Goff can succeed when I already don't think he should have been the guy. But but I, I will say this, and, and, and I'll get you out of here on a couple last questions, one of which kind of being a guy that you and I have talked about off off air, whatever you want to call it, should the Rams look into doing what Cleveland did with Cody Kessler? We're talking about a guy who maybe was limited in the scope of what he could do coming out, but has been successful because of the situation in which Cleveland has placed him. Now, I'm not talking about grabbing Goff and having him only make the throws that Kessler can make because I, I think that's a waste of Goff's arm and a waste of a number one overall pick. But right. we're talking about a limited, more constructive playbook. I don't want to say guaranteed because nothing in life is guaranteed, but right. guaranteed in air quotes to make the quarterback's life easier moving forward. Is that approach that the Rams should take with Goff? You know, it's it's really interesting that you bring up Cody Kessler because of all the knocks on him coming out and, you know, him being drafted where he was drafted, you look at him in the preseason, he was really he played really well. You look at him in the regular season, I mean he only has one turnover. You know, he has played much better, whether preseason or in games that matter as they say, no matter what the situation, he's played much better than anyone expected. I think that uh, I think multiple things uh play a role in that. Uh, the first thing, the system that he played in in college, he had more experience with the pro-style offense. And then the other thing is, as you mentioned, they really, really put him in positions to succeed. And the way that they put put him in those positions to succeed is by um, they don't ask him to do too many things outside of, you know, what he's comfortable doing or what he's capable of doing. You know, a lot of the routes, they're, they're easy reads, but they're reads. They're not just one read and then figure out what to do from there or just run or, you know, there's nothing like that. He has multiple reads to go through, but they're easy reads. There's not a lot of uh, confusing routes. There's not a lot of option routes because an option route is something that takes chemistry and it takes experience. You have to you have to understand what the defense is doing. You have to understand what the receiver is saying or seeing. You know, so there's not a lot of those more complex things that's thrown in there for Cody Kessler. But his what he's running has been good enough that they have actually been in every single game with the exception of maybe two games that he's played. They've been in it all the way to the end. In some games, they've been leading up until the end. <laughs> you know, so it's not that they're not losing games because of Cody Kessler is what I'm getting at. Um, I think it would be wise for the Rams to take a similar approach. I think they will take a similar approach, which is why I say I think that they will have some – a couple of packages uh, put in there that will be things that he's used to running, a couple of RPOs, things like that. Um, but I do think that they will get away from it because they have a tendency of getting away from the things that work for them. Um, there, there's a, They don't really stick with the game plan. They're like, uh, they're like every other team in Los Angeles. If the game plan is working, they go the opposite direction. Unfortunately, that is kind of true. Yes. <laughs> so, and I think that's what I think that's what um, we're going to see a lot of this weekend. Um, I believe that, that for the first time in a long time, they're going to come out running the ball. They're going to come out running the ball with uh, Todd Gurley hard, 
and they're going to try to set up some play actions, and they're going to try to take advantage of his deep accuracy. They're going to try to push the ball downfield to Kenny Brick, but everything I'm saying here is they're going to say he starts with try because at the end of the day, it's all going to come down to can Derek Goff execute. There's a lot of pressure on this kid right now. And, um, you know, as they say, you know, when it comes to pressure, you can either bust like a pipe or you can become a diamond. We're going to see which one is going to be Jared Goff here, but – there's a lot of pressure, and not all of it is his fault. Or not really, none of it is really his fault. You know, I think Jeff Fisher has a lot of blame to go towards him, and I think Jeff Fisher, by making this move, is kind of putting all his cards on the table. You know, I don't this think is he it. has a choice. I think he yeah, realizes this is it. That if he wants <laughs> that extension, it's this or nothing. Exactly, this is it. If, if, if this if this fails, if these next seven games just fall through, if they rims fall flat on their face. I think, and I think a lot of Rams fans are going to be happy to hear this, and I know I've told you this quite a few times over the last couple of weeks. I think if the Rams fall on their face, especially now that they put Jared Goff in there, and they're still in the playoff race. They're four and five right now. So it's not like this season is over for them. If they, if this thing collapses, there's no more Jeff Fisher coaching the, the Rams. It's over. The Los Angeles Rams will have a new coach, um, and it's just going to be that simple. I think that this is Jeff Fisher putting all the cards on the table. The pressure has been put on him. I don't think he does this without pressure. I think a lot of pressure from the front office was put on him. And uh, I think that now, now that he's finally gone through with it, this is it. <laughs> it's all on Jared Goff. Jared Goff has a lot of pressure in a lot of ways. And I think nothing is greater than the pressure of your coach may not be your coach next year if you don't succeed. Well, I had one last question, but but you – in that last statement kind of jogs something that that we talked about. Now, one of the things, because we always, it feels like lately, are just we have nothing positive to say about Jeff Fisher. Now, I realize that it's, you know, Rams fans are like, well, why should there be? I get it. I get it. But if you're hoping that Goff succeeds, then you need at least in some part for – Jeff Fisher to be a decent coach because if there is such a thing as ruining a guy for the next coach and, and you don't want that to happen. Now, one of the things that I do believe Jeff Fisher is really good at is protecting his players. Yes. And I know that we've talked about this. No matter how bad Goff does, is there some, some, a fraction, a minute amount of nobility in the amount of protection that Jeff Fisher will afford Jared Goff to take that off him, even knowing that he may not be around next year to to, to fully see this kid out. He's still going to protect him from what will come if the Rams inevitably end up losing with him at the helm. You know, that's a great question, and to be perfectly honest, had you asked me this last year, if this was last year, Jeff Fisher, it would be a resounding yes, no hesitation whatsoever. Because before this year, I had never seen Jeff Fisher throw a player under a bus. This year, I've seen him do it on multiple occasions, the finger pointing, and I had never seen him do it. And that kind of goes into the uh, pressure being put on uh, Jerry Goff. I think that if things go south for Jared Goff and for this Rams offense, if they if they somehow forget stay the same, if they stay the same, that probably could be marked up as a success. If they get worse, <laughs> then I think that Jeff Fisher probably tries to save face and he finishes this season 
with a lot of finger pointing. I don't think that he saves Jared Goff. I think that if we need better play, Jared Goff has to, Jared has to be better. I think the thing that he says about other players, I think he'll start saying about his quarterback. He has to be better. He has to make this throw. I think he'll start putting that pressure on him more often and pointing that finger if things, you know, start off wrong. Um, I don't think there's going to, like with Case, I don't think there's going to be, oh, Case has been fine. I don't think there's going to be a bunch of Jared Goff has been fine. It may be in the beginning, the first two, three games, but once you get into that home stretch, that last quarter of the season, December, is win or go home, I think that's when the pressure is going to come. If they're not winning and they're, they got a lot of division, they got a lot of division games to close out the season, if they're not winning, I think that that's when you start looking at Jeff Fisher saying, how is he going to react to this? And like I said, if this was any other year, I would definitely hands down say absolutely he's going to have his quarterback back no matter what, what no matter what his future is. But things are changing this year. <laughs> now, now it's his ass on the line, and, and there's yeah. always that CYA thing in effect. Okay, so my real last question before I hit you with a prediction and we get out of here is, how do you personally expect Jared Goff to do against this Miami defensive front? Uh, you know what? If I'm being absolutely 100% honest, I believe that will be a, a struggle. Um, I think that that so, struggle. So the Finsiders, apparently. I think that struggle. <laughs> I think that struggle is going to really come early. I think that um, the Rams are going to try to put him in uh, positions to succeed. He's going to struggle early on, but I do believe that, and this is just something that I kind of noticed with Jerry Goff and just scouting him. Uh, in college as well as the preseason. I scouted him really hard in the preseason to get a really good feel for how he would uh, transition. I think Jared Goff is the definition of a rhythm quarterback. If he can find any sort of rhythm, just a couple of completions. You know, this mm-hmm. is the old, old thing that they say about quarterbacks, and it's not true for all of them. It's really not. But it is true for some of them. When they catch a rhythm, you get them a couple of completions and their confidence gets going, they become a different player. I think if Jared Goff can get a couple of good completions, not not any screens, but some some passes thrown downfield, if he can get a 10-yard completion here, a 13-yard completion here, and a 7-yard completion there, I think his confidence starts rolling. And if his confidence starts rolling, I think his play will increase or get better. Uh, Without that, I think that there's a good chance we could be looking at a quarterback who finishes the game with 200 yards or less passing and, you know, 55% completion, Maybe he can squeeze a touchdown out, but I think there's a good chance we see a two uh, interceptions. Interception. Yeah, there are interception or two, you know. But if he get if he can get that rhythm, you know, we could be looking at a guy that finishes his first game, you know, with 230 yards passing, with you know, two touchdowns and two interceptions. No matter what, there's going to be those interceptions because he's a rookie growing pains. It's easy to trick a rookie. And know, he's so. and he's going to trust that big arm of his in situations where he's yeah, trusting that that cow brain. Absolutely, he will. You know, so I think it's going to be interesting. I think if he's smart, he's going to watch film, a lot of film, um, not just on on the Dolphins, but on his own players. (laughs) Look at the guys, see who you should go to in certain situations. You know, realize that Kenny Britt's been a playmaker for you. Give him an opportunity. You know, uh, realize that there hasn't been a lot of success of throwing to Tavon in tight windows. You know, he's had. You know, his biggest game was against Tampa, and in that against that in that Tampa game. There wasn't any tight windows. There was he was wide open every catch. You know, so realize that you don't you're not going to have success throwing the ball to him in tight windows. He just has not been that receiver in tight windows. Now, if you get him the ball in open field, he's had success. Uh, same thing with Lance Kendrick. Realizing that that's probably not who you want to go to on third down. The last thing as a rookie, or you at need the goal is, line, 
Yeah, the last thing you need as a rookie is for your confidence to take a hit. If it's third down and, and 70, you hit Lance Kendricks in the chest and he drops that ball, you don't want to be losing confidence in yourself or in any of your receivers. So realizing where to go with the ball, who to go to with the ball, I think the smartest thing to do is not just watch film on your opponent, but watch film on your teammates. That's a that's a really really salient point you just made. I was actually sitting there going, "Damn, that's <laughs> I, I have never thought of that." But that's a really interesting perspective. All right, so with that, let's get you out of here on a prediction. You've already said that Goss going to struggle. So does that mean the Rams are going to lose? Well, you know the Dolphins are on a four game win streak. They've got that run game clicking, and you know, it's really weird because they're they're playing the way that the Rams need to play in order to win. They got the run game going, and they're not asking a lot of their fifth-year quarterback. <laughs> you know, so if, if the Rams go into this game and they ask more of their first-year quarterback than the Dolphins do of their fifth-year quarterback, they will lose this game. It's just that simple. It cannot be a repeat of 2010 – First game of the year, I believe, against the Raiders, when Sam Bradford or against the Cardinals, Sam Bradford goes out there and he throws the ball 50 times. That cannot happen in your first mm-hmm. part. <laughs> you know, it, it just cannot happen. You know, they have but to. But you wouldn't be have, surprised if it did. I wouldn't be surprised if it did. If you're asking Case Keenum to throw the ball 55 times, which would never make sense to me. I don't see any reason why you won't ask anyone to throw the ball 55 times. See, it makes sense to me because Case Keenum's coming out of that Houston offense where all he did was throw the ball 50 to 55 times again. Now, I get in an NFL why why you wouldn't do that. But if I'm shrinking it down to, you know, a small little microcosm and then asking that question, well, I get why they had Case Keenum throw the ball 50 or 60 times. That's it would, what he's it doing. Wouldn't make, it would make more sense to me. He's not good at throwing the ball 50 times. Fair he's enough. Good at, he's good at what you're asking him to do during those 50 times. So if they were asking him to throw the ball 55 times and they were running the same type of concepts and philosophy as what they ran in Houston, then it would make sense to me. But they weren't. They were okay. running a, a broken-down West Coast offense but throwing it 55 times. That does not make sense. And 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 that is a solid point that I completely understand and agree with. So, uh, man, what do you have coming up this week, uh, or even this weekend that you'll be dropping on TST? This is uh, an interesting time. You know, everything's changed with this move that was made today. So, uh, I, I, I've got some uh, some things I'm going to be talking about with golf. Uh, some stuff to kind of stir up some questions. Um, I'm actually going to be. Getting one thing finished up with uh, the starter, but yeah, <laughs> some things, uh, some stare for questions amongst fans. You know, to get some uh, get some brainstorming going about expectations and you know where you kind of see things headed and uh, what difference does this make if any. You know, so I have some questions and I'm gonna kind of whip up whip up something where those questions are just gonna be rolled up together and we're gonna we're gonna dis- discuss them in the comments. <laughs> so uh, the last thing I'm gonna ask you here, man, is. Uh, Man, can golf can golf do one thing? Finish the season with a winning record. Actually, you know what? Screw that. That's too much. I already know that's too much. I'm just kidding. Can golf finish the season? <laughs> okay, look, that's too easy. So I'll answer both of them. Yes, he can finish the season. Can he finish with a winning record? You're gonna be surprised by my answer, but yes, he can. Um, 
for this reason and this reason only, the Rams have three games, three games that are in the division. The Rams, as we all know, have played the division really well. When you look at the way that the Cardinals and the 49ers are playing, those are actually really winnable games, especially the 49ers, and you would think that they would be seeking revenge after that loss uh, to open the season. Uh, so I think they're going to be really fired up for that game. Now, here's now everyone that anyone that knows me and reads anything that I write, I don't like putting a lot of uh, win loss success on quarterbacks except for a special few uh, because I don't I think that quarterbacks get too much credit for wins and losses. Um, so I'm not going to say that Jerry Goff is you know he's going to have that record, but I think the Rams can finish you know four and three to close out the season because I do believe that there's a legitimate chance that they can win their last three um, their last three uh, division games. And that from there, they would only need to win one more game. And they could definitely win this weekend. They could definitely beat the Saints. I don't think there's a chance in hell they beat the Patriots. They will probably play the Patriots harder than anyone this season. And I would not, and I've said this before, I wouldn't in the least bit be surprised if by some crazy-ass way they beat the Patriots because that's what the Rams do. They beat teams yes. they shouldn't be beating. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think it's going to happen, but I would not be surprised uh, I think if they, they did pull that Seattle off. I think they Seattle a loss one year when they had like a 13-win season and went, went Absolutely. They beat the Seattle. They've beaten um, Denver. They've beaten a lot of teams when they shouldn't beat them. You know, so they've beaten the Saints when they shouldn't have beat them. They beat the Colts when they shouldn't have beat them. So, absolutely, I definitely think that it's possible. So, I'm no way whatsoever would be surprised if they went out there and they beat the Patriots. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, but I do think that there's they do have a legitimate chance of finishing the season uh, with four more wins. So, it should be interesting. You know, four more wins still wouldn't be all that because it would only put them at 8-8. Eight and eight. But <laughs> it'd be the best thing the Rams have seen in the last 11 years. So we'll see how it goes. But I do think that Jared, Jared Goff, um, the Rams with Jared Goff at quarterback, can finish out the season uh, at at least 800. See, and I, I think that they can beat the Patriots if and only for one reason. They're not supposed to. And and that's the way I used to make my money on predicting UFC fights uh, back when I covered MMA. I was like, oh, we've got two wrestlers in the octagon, so this is going to be a stand-up war, and the guy that has no business winning it's going to be the one who wins it. Brock Lesnar versus Randy Couture, Brock's going to win this thing by knockout. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's just the way that I picked it, and it was always – it worked. It worked in MMA. I don't know that it's working in football. But, yeah, I, I, like you, I think the moral of that story is nobody would be surprised if they beat the Pats simply because the Pats are a good team and the Rams are not, but the Rams are. And and that's the weird part is they're not, but they are. And that just defines the Rams. So, with that, Myson, let's get you out of here. Tell people where they can find you on Twitter. Hey, you just look me up at, at Mighty or Mycin. I'm always responding if you ask me a question, so go ahead and throw them at me. And Mycin and I are going to be trying doing a bit more of these throughout the season, sprinkling them in. Uh, so if you ever have questions that you want to get at us uh, for one of our podcast specials, by all means send them and we'll find a way to work them in. Uh, if we don't get to one of yours one week, just remind us and we can get to it the next week. So uh, with that in mind, please do uh, 
though we think you should be already if you're listening to this podcast, give all of us a follow at Turf Show Times, SB Nation's home for your Los Angeles Rams, and we will be back at our regularly scheduled time tomorrow night with an in-depth look at the upcoming game against the Dolphins, and we will be wrapping with Matthew from Finsiders, SB Nation's home for the Miami Dolphins. So you won't want to miss that, and that'll be with Joe, your buddy 3K, and myself. So for Myson and everybody at Turf Show Times, I am Josh, and we will catch you next time here on Turf Show Radio. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? <laughs> and why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.